All right, welcome to the runningrestaurants.com podcast where we bring you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to know to make your restaurant more profitable and successful. I'm your host, Jamie Oikel, and today I'm with Ann Gannon, a principal at the Largo Group. Welcome, Ann. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, so Ann's got a great story, and we're going to get into some of that, and, and she's been very, very helpful to restaurants throughout this COVID pan- pandemic. So, why don't you tell me briefly what the Largo Group is and what you guys have been up to? What do you got? Yeah, so we are a innovative accounting firm that specializes in um, really small business accounting, but definitely a specialty with restaurants. And so um, I've been the principal. We started five years ago. I've been in public accounting almost 20 years, but um, you know, I used to work at a big firm, basically saw very quickly that um, the, the entrepreneur or the business owner is underserved at a lot of accounting firms because by the time you get to doing your tax return, you're far down the road from anything that those accountants are actually looking at. So it's very hard to give any sort of advice or strategy or even have a conversation because you're looking at things that are you know 12 months 12 months ago. So you're not looking at what's happening today. So the business model really is that our goal is to be involved with you every week, every month, so that we know what's happening right now and can give you know our strategy, our advice based on current information so we can actually make a difference before we get to the tax return. When COVID hit, um, you know, it was sort of an eye-opener obviously for everybody, but hugely for us because you know we were so involved with hospitality that most of our clients are in some way connected to the hospitality industry. So right away, um, you know, actually partnered with, you know, David Scott Peters, and we started a cash flow mastermind session, um, which we thought was going to be one week. And it was amazing the response that it had, because all of a sudden you had, you know, over a thousand people that had joined the group that were reaching out. And for the first seven weeks of the pandemic, it really was the lifeline, like not just for the people on it, but I think David and I, myself, just to kind of say, all right, what's going on this week? What do we know? Like, what do we think you should do? Because it was such a, a, you know, crazy time. And, you know, from that, I think really what, what became is it became our mission for the last year to just help in any way that we could. So anytime we get information, we try to post it, we try to, you know, put an update because, you know, restaurant owners have a lot on their plate in any year, but what's been thrown at them in 2020 is just, it's a, it's an insane amount to deal with. So our goal really has been just let's all boots on the ground, you know, get through this together and, you know, come out on the other side better for it. Yeah, I tell, I tell you what, the uh, the information was coming out hot and heavy when 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 it first came out. It was overwhelming for for everybody for sure, and even now it still is. A, there's there's so much to, to try to keep track of, and and David David is great. I go back uh, years and years with with David and and uh, David Scott Peters and all his his knowledge, and he's he's great with how he brings that into effect um, uh, for his clients and and for folks in general. Now. Um, we're going to get into some of the some of the PPP stuff and what people need to know, uh, but you you really didn't hit that. Her background goes a little bit a little a little bit more of a windy path than than she gave you there, and and, and even because we were talking right before we started the call about uh, some of where we lived and and so forth and and so forth. But we talked about the golf angle. So you were a big golfer, and that kind of weaved you through, and eventually you landed on the CPA. So tell tell us tell us that before we dig in. Yeah, so growing up, my uh, dream was always to be a professional golfer. I just love golf. Um, I'm Scottish is my heritage, and it just kind of fits, I think, you know, the Scottish way of looking at things is just you're kind of out there, you know, striving to be be your best every day. So it was always a dream. Um, When I got out after college, I played 
high level amateur golf, competitive golf, um, you know, had a, a very good career as an amateur. And then when I turned pro, what I quickly realized is I hated playing for money. It's really a, an interesting mind shift and I'm not, you know, kind of that gambler mentality. So pretty much the first tournament, I'm like, oh, this is, this is really kind of going to be a struggle. So after the first year of it, you know, I really looked at it and said, I just don't see myself wanting to be a professional golfer for the rest of my life. So where does that lead me? But it really was a time to kind of look back and say, what I loved in the journey of getting to professional golf was the people I met along the way. And that I had, you know, traveled the country, going to all these different towns, you know, meeting the golf pros and meeting the restaurant managers. And, and that, those are the people that I loved. And, you know, even in, in golf, you know, you stay in private housing and I would be staying with people who owned the local restaurant and were the entrepreneur of the town that happened to be a member at the club. And, and those are the people that I, you know, really wanted to work with. So how does that happen? I went, you know, thinking, well, maybe it's accountants. Some of the people I had stayed with Mm -hmm. along the way had been accountants. So I kind of, you know, drawn on their knowledge. But when I got to the bigger firm, I realized, you know, you have such a distance between you when you're at a big firm because you really can't just sit down with an entrepreneur and have an open conversation. There's just a lot of stuff in between. And in order for me to really want to serve those people, you have to find a way to where they can pick up the phone and really call you and talk to you as a person. And it's not just part of this wheel and this big machine. And so that was really where I realized, like, to do this right, I want to kind of reinvent the way accounting works for the entrepreneur or the business owner so that it is something that values them and it's not just valuing the accountant at the end of the day. Yeah, what a fun fun journey to uh, tra- travel and play golf and enjoy it. But yeah, the, the, I, could, I can see that that uh, crazy pressure side of, uh, of putting, putting for dough at the end. It's not fun. No. It's, it's hard. So, so we, we, we literally could go in a whole bunch of directions with your expertise and what you help restaurants with. And, and I'm, I'm open to wherever the conversation goes here for the next little bit, but why don't we start with uh, what folks need to know about the current state of the stimulus and PPP? What, what's going on there right now? Yeah. So I really think, um, you know, there's a lot to take advantage of for business owners um ppp the first round you know you know i I wish they had done this differently because i feel like what made it so stressful is just the uncertainty but you know finally on december 28th when they passed the next round of stimulus you know they did answer a lot of the questions that had just been plaguing everybody all of 2020 and the big one was that ppp is not taxable so what that means is you really are going to have the case where what shows up on your tax return is less than the dollars that were in your bank account and by this PPP amount. So it's it's the best possible outcome for the restaurant owner or business owner is just that you now have a tax return that's going to show potentially even a loss, but you actually did have more dollars than that. Um, it just isn't going to be a taxable event. So that was huge. I think knowing the rules for round two of PPP is great. You know, so the second round of PPP is it is there to you know for anyone who had less than a 20 or 25 percent drop in sales for any quarter of 2020 so the one thing i tell people here is really make sure that you are comparing apples to apples because a lot of things changed in 19 and 20 so the big thing for restaurants is delivery fees so what you really want to make sure when you pull your, you know, QuickBooks report for, you know, most of our clients, it's either the second quarter or the fourth quarter, you know, depending on their business. But those t- seem to be the two quarters that most people are looking at. But if you're looking at quarter two and you're looking at your sales, 
you want to make sure that 2020 is obviously correct, but you also want to make sure that 2019 includes any sales for delivery services or catering events, because, you know, in a typical year in a restaurant, you know, we're taking your point of sale system, but we might be just doing cash deposits. We might not really be paying attention to the timing of when the revenue gets recorded, because it's really something you do at the end of the year. So you really want to make sure that you're not looking at an understated 2019 sales and then comparing it to 2020. And the big one for us is the delivery services, that a lot of the point of sale systems in 2019 weren't recording the delivery service sales, which means if you're using just your you know, QuickBooks report or just even your point of sale system, you could be missing some sales in 19. So I think that's the big tip for, you know, round two of PPP is we just want to make sure that we're looking at the right number for revenue. Let's, um, yeah, let's, let's kind of go back in time to uh, 11 months ago. I always think about, I always think about St. Patrick's Day as the really hammer last year. Uh, it was like the, hey guys, don't go party because this thing's going to spread. And and, that, and so that's always the date that sticks out. We are almost, uh, we're sitting here early, early Feb. And so that's 11 months. So we've been a year in this. Um, that first round, I think, uh, would be easy, easy to agree that it was a disaster for a lot of folks in terms of how do I, how do I sign up? I didn't get it. You got it. They got a lot of, a lot of people did great in terms of getting their paperwork in. You must have seen a lot of those frustrations. How did you counsel people through that? I guess, and more importantly, it, how does it translate to now? I mean, are people still struggling to get what they feel they should get? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, I think it was eye-opening to people in round one if you had a relationship with your bank. Mm. Because, you know, as a business owner, you're kind of pre-COVID. We're like, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. I want to pick the bank that, you know, my server can go deposit the cash at the end of the night. But you really weren't, for a lot of people who had started businesses, you know, in the last five or 10 years, you really weren't thinking of this relationship that you needed at your bank. And then all of a sudden when PPP came, if you didn't have a person to contact, it was eye-opening to say, well, wait a minute, like, you know, this is the worst time of my business's life. And now I don't even have a person who will pick up the phone. So I think it's going to, in the long-term, change the expectation of a business owner for their bank. Because if your bank didn't deliver in PPP, then you're not going to forget that anytime soon. And I think, you know, a lot of people, most people got, or I would think, you know, most people got the money eventually for round one, but you're also seeing that again with round two, because it does seem to be taking a long time. A lot of it is just the banks have built in requirements now. I mean, you know, we've heard of, you know, people who potentially there was fraud in round one. So the banks really have to be as careful as they can, but you're still seeing some of the larger banks, the banks that don't have the person to call, that it's just taking more time than the people who have a banker they know who they can call and the banker can help them. So I feel like that's the lesson, you know, maybe not today, but I think the people who felt underserved by their bank, it might be an eye opener to say, I want to go find a banker who's going to have a relationship with me. Yeah, I call it um, when we did our we did calls right away too back then, and, and um, you already used the phrase eye opening, and I think it was incredibly eye opening for people that no one would have ever because it hasn't happened right where businesses just shut down. The government said you guys have to close, you just have to do it, and everyone's like what? And then of course they, they had to follow the regulations to a large extent, and so very quickly restaurants learned, oh my gosh, I can't operate if I'm closed for a day, for a week, like for a month, like I have no 
backstop. I have no plan for that. I have no savings for that. And so, so they went through just dramatic learnings about that because before, uh, you know, if you go back 24 months, it was what I call easy times, Like everything was flowing, right? It was easy. I mean, people were going out to restaurants, spending money like crazy, uh, no challenges to, to run. Oh, I, mean, I don't, I don't mean no challenges to run restaurants, but it was as good as it gets. Like yeah. things were, things were flowing pretty well. And then, er, you know, put the brakes on and we're in a whole, whole different situation. What were some of those early conversations with people like the panic level? Like, I don't have cash. I can't pay the rent. I, I don't know how to do with, you know, my, my servers and my staff I've had for five years. I don't have to let everybody go. Like a lot of tough conversations, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I think, um, I mean, the funny thing is we were talking, you know, cash flow before COVID, but nobody really cared because mm-hmm. things were so good. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sales are good. I care about my top line. I care about my next location. Yeah, like I'll yeah. get to cash flow. And I think very quickly, you know, in that last two weeks of March, first week of April, I mean, it was it was scary because you, you know, you had people who just closed who said, I'm not spending another dime until mm-hmm. I get some sort of relief from the government. I mean, there was this, you know, mad rush to get any program, every program they could get. Um, But I think the lesson in that, at least from my perspective, is that so many times when things were good, the last person taken care of was the owner. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. they took what was left in the bank or if, if they took anything at all. I mean, we had so many clients who really use the operating account as their own personal account too, right? Well, I'm going to get taxed on the profits anyway, so I'm just going to use this for my groceries and use this for my trips and, and I'll figure it out at the end of the day. And they didn't have their own separate savings or their own separate nest egg outside of this you know, valuable asset, which was their business. And then all of a sudden, when that went away, it's like, well, wait a minute, I don't have anything else besides this business. So I really feel like once we get through, you know, COVID and, and then we're on the other side, I mean, the lesson really is that every month, you know, the restaurant owner should take care of themselves too, right? Have a savings mm-hmm. account, have a cash reserve, you know, so that if anything that happens in the business, it, you know, that business is a valuable asset, but it's not your only asset. Yeah, I mean, I, 100%, right? So what I think we saw, you know, a year ago, I'm not, not rocket science. I'm not telling anything that people don't know is we saw the inherent flaw of the restaurant business surviving on traditional seven, 12, if you're lucky, you know, 15% profit margins that is unsustainable if there's a pause or a hiccup in your business. Um, and, and we already knew that the restaurant, restaurant industry was kind of thin, right. And kind of skating on, on, on oblivion. And so it re- it really was a hard, lesson to learn that, oh, we're really not structured for success. How have you, and kind of, we'll talk a little bit how you're building classes and learnings and stuff, but how have you kind of thought about restructuring restaurants for more success when we get out of this so they can be profitable and, you know, pull 20% and, and have a future that is more sustainable and, and so forth. There's, there's a lot of systematic uh, hurdles to that. How, how do you think about it? Well, I really think that it does come down to being aware of the cash flow every week. So really what we've tried to transition into during COVID is bring cash flow to the table every week. So if we're going to look at a weekly P&L, so with our clients, we send them you know, every week a weekly report so they can see how the business does. But beyond that, literally taking it to let's check the cash in the bank this week. And is it more than what you had last week? And from that point, 
you know, should I move out a thousand dollars into my personal checking account this week? Should I take some of those profits now? And if I'm not going to, you know, maybe digging into why, because the other part of it is, you know, it's great to look at the budget and it's great to look at the PL, but what are the other things that's happening? Because a lot of things, you know, that were happening in 19 is that expansion. You know, you take the profits from your successful restaurant and you throw it all into the next restaurant. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, that's great. I can get a loan here and I can go build this and yay. That's but right. all of a sudden you've just thrown six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars into this what if. Right. And, and the profitable one is just, you know, churning as hard as it can to, to sustain this growth cycle. And and that's not anything against the growth cycle. But I do think we have to be strategic of, you know, this one that's profitable. We maybe want to save a portion of that or, or move a little bit over and, you know, have a reserve. So, you know, yes, it's great to grow, but we're not throwing all of our profits in for the sake of this. What if? Yeah. Um, yeah, everybody wants to grow it as soon as you have a little success. When's where everyone asks, well, Hey, when's your next one coming? When's that? Where, where, where are you going to, where are you guys going to build next? Right. Every, and they want to expand, which is, which is a natural tendency. And, I, and you, you brought it up. I had a question listed here that I did want to get to. So let's kind of do it now. Cause you touched on it. Um, what restaurants should be looking at? You talked about a cash flow statement, P and L other things. So I just, the way I had it written out and so you can answer it however you want, but I was going to ask, you know, what should they be looking at on a, like a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, et cetera. What are those key information points to really keep track of what's going on? Right. So I definitely think, um, you know, a PL, even if it's incomplete on a weekly basis, if you know, like, well, you know, I didn't get this invoice in, that's okay. I think what we really want to do as any business owner, especially restaurant owner is consistently set up. Um, the, the key things for your business. So, you know, and, and really make sure that every week you're looking at, you know, the same set and pieces of information. So if I'm looking at my PL, I'm going to look at it every Monday. And then as part of that, I also want to look at my bank balance. And, you know, I think what happens is there's a lot of fear, right? Especially now, because what's funny is you have people who have more cash than they would have ever imagined they'd have in 19, but there's so much more fear because they don't, it's never going to feel like enough anymore because you saw what happened in 2020. So I think the consistency of, okay, I looked at my bank balance today and it has 20,000 and last week it had 18,000. Like that inherently will help get rid of some of that fear because I think it's unrealistic to think the fear is going to go away, but the more we can consistently look at our performance, oh, look, my sales went up by $500 this week. And I can consistently look at my bank balance and, oh, look, my bank balance went up by $500. You know, that will build into getting rid of some of this fear that is just going to live with us for a long time as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Right. We're all going to be more careful for, for quite a while. And I want to ask you, because you kind of touched on it, you talk about invoicing thing and, and so forth. And there's a lot of tools now that there wasn't five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, that operators can use to be much more efficient. And they're all very affordable. Uh, you know, things, uh, things that used to cost big, big businesses, you know, millions of dollars to create plans for. There's cloud-based systems. How have you seen the technology piece really, uh, and mobile stuff, apps, delivery services, how have you seen all this technology kind of just change the landscape for how efficient restaurants can be? Well, I think that's true. I mean, I think that what um, there's a lot out there in terms of software, there's a lot out there in terms of, you know, invoicing, being able to read the invoices and gather the data. I really think the key is the owner 
being open to technology because yeah. it doesn't have to be done the same way it was done 10 years ago. So, you know, and the other thing I think in COVID that people realized is you have to have a software that's relatively automated, that there's some softwares out there where it relies on your manager to do a certain task or to import or input things or, you know, and I think the lesson of COVID is as much as you can get it to work on its own, you know, that's going to benefit your team because, you know, you may have a time where your manager is not going to have time to put the information in. So really making sure that the software is relatively self-sufficient. I mean, you still need to review and you still need to check it, but it shouldn't be something that it takes your manager 20 hours a week to do because that's just a lot of time in a software where really the manager needs to be managing right so i do think that software has come a long way and some sort of automation is very important in software and then the other piece is that your team buys into it because it doesn't do any good if the team isn't aware of the information that's in the software so just you know i think having it again part of that weekly checklist should be you know the team looking at the data because the team knows if it's right or not but if no one's looking at it you know garbage in garbage out so we really have to you know, own it that if it's not right, we fix it. So we yeah. get it as accurate as we can. Because again, the, you know, the software isn't going to do everything for us. We want it to make our lives easier, but we also want it to be like a member of our team, right? So we have yeah. to manage it just like we do our employees. So funny. I was, what my little note here is like gar- the garbage in garbage out, right? I just, I just wrote that right before you said it, because it happens. You can put whatever you want in, but if it, if it, if it doesn't go in the right way, it doesn't come out the right way, and you're then you're just guessing on wrong numbers and so forth. But the data is certainly available. There's so much different data that, that can plug into um, the system. So that is the good news. But yes, it has to be uh, consistent and it has to be correct. Um, I, I know you would have gotten this call, this conversation. This is Anne. Listen, uh, we we can't do it anymore. We're cl- we're closing up shop. How, how do how do those calls look? Do you, do some of them sway back and they have found success and some obviously probably closed along the way? What, what have you seen? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I come to this from, you know, obviously a tax background. Um, so my thought on those calls was to go slow with that. I mean, I think at the beginning, you know, there were definitely people who just said, I'm done, I'm walking away. But from a tax perspective, you know, my biggest fear in that was that there's some unintended consequences. You know, did you have a personal guarantee on a lease or, you know, loans that were taken out for a build out that you're going to have to pay back anyway. So while it seemed like the answer, a lot of our clients and the people that I talked to, I really tried to get them to look at, you know, where can you go from here? Because even though the decisions aren't easy and it's, you know, not an easy road to crawl back, you know, it's probably worth screaming to your landlord that you can't pay the rent versus just closing because you can't pay the rent. So, you know, our thought really was on some level, every cost is controllable because you have to write that check. So really what we tried to do was, you know, walk through everything you owe, but also looking at, like I said, the loans, the long-term investments, money that you've already put in, and not from a place of regret or, you know, I mean, we can't go back and, and who would have ever thought 2020 would come, but there is such an inherent value into any business. And, you know, the value really is there until you sell it and to just walk away, you know, you're giving up that that upside that could come in the future. So, you know, what we really try to do was just really think outside the box with a lot of our clients and and some of them do great things like find a, you know, city project where they could do meals or, you know, other sources of revenue they would have never thought of. 
but um, but I really think that what got lost, at least at the beginning, in the whole you know close stay open, is the idea that you've been already invested you know hundreds of thousands of dollars into this asset, and it might not feel like anything today, but on the other side of this, there is going to be a time where there's less competition, and we are already seeing sort of that right. with some of our clients where there's this vacuum. So there is going to be a time where things come back at some point, and that's where we've just really tried to be strategic to say. Don't even look at your PL if you don't want to <laughs> for 2020, right? It's ugly. We know it's ugly, but you're playing for the long game, right? You're and, and we have clients who've had this conversation where our goal is really to plan for five years from now where this gets back to and what your business or your you know locations mm. look like at that point, not necessarily today. Yeah, a lot a lot of good things you just said there for people taking taking the long the long-term perspective and the competition perspective is is interesting. Uh, again, if you go back 12 months, probably too many operators in the marketplace, too, too much competition. Some people uh, didn't belong there. Those people will get called out of the marketplace uh, or have. And so when it does get back to normal, you're going to have uh, fewer restaurants operating than in the past. And the ones doing it have a chance to be more successful and then they can do things right and they can build on that. So, so that's a semi-positive of the thing if you, if you are well-structured and set up and ready to take that leap of faith to wait there's but 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 in but in between i'm sure it was was painful did you see a lot of or any any really interesting tales about the negotiation part like you just said you go to the landlord and they gave you a, a good break or you went to the bank and they gave you a good break any any kind of interesting stories that came up for you yeah i mean i think what was interesting is the way people worked with their landlords too mm -hmm you know, kind of make it a, somewhat of a win on both sides. Um, you know, we did have, you know, quite a few clients who were able to structure very unique deals with their landlord. Like, you know, a few had the landlord just added to months at the end of the lease. So, you know, we're not going to forget that you haven't paid for six months. We're really going to add it to, you know, three years from now, an extension on the lease. So there were some that were willing to do that. Uh, a lot of did, a lot of them did, you know, percentage of profits for the next year. Um, so really became just more of sort of a collaborative thing, you know, because a lot of this also just depended on where you were. I mean, we have clients who, if you're in the cities, you know, downtown Boston, downtown mm -hmm. Philly, I mean, there was less you could do because there's just fewer people. And if you're in like a suburban area, you have people at home. So you do have some somewhat of a captive audience. So I think, you know, what we saw was really people, you know, working with any vendor, any, you know, debt that they had and the ones that were the squeaky wheels made it through right like they just didn't take no for an answer <laughs> and so and it, it was interesting to see like how creative they got but I think you know by and large what we saw was just the people that were able to just sit line by line vendor by vendor and just start calling were the ones that that really made it a difference in what they had to pay during 2020. Yeah, gotcha. You said something that I want to pick up on uh, about other services so uh, when, when people had to get creative uh, it became a lot of takeout. It became pivot to that, like meal delivery, uh, just anything they could think of to generate revenue. And I remember us talking early on that, that I said, you know, if a lot of people last, if you went a year ago, they didn't know how to do takeout and delivery. If by April, they did, right? Because they had to learn quickly. And so I, one of the things we said, well, good, take those learnings that you are been forced to do and never forget that because in the future, two years hence, um, hopefully 
delivery is still a good chunk of your business. Instead of 2%, it's a consistent 20% or whatever the numbers obviously change for every, everybody. But, but like those ways of making money that you never thought you had to do before, don't forget how to do that when things get back to normal. Have you kind of, I, I imagine, had those conversations? What do you think? Well, definitely. And I think inherently as entrepreneurs and business owners, we tend to not give ourselves enough credit a lot of times. But um, this conversation has actually come up quite a bit. Uh, we've been working through with our clients, this employee retention tax credit. And um, it's a very good credit. Anyone who's interested, you know, should check out our, our website on it. Um, but basically the, the rule of the credit is to get the credit, which ends up to be, you know, $5,000 per employee basically um, is you have to prove that either your business was impacted by COVID or that you had a 50% reduction in 2020. So most of the people that we've worked on is number one. And it's so funny because so quickly the entrepreneur goes to revenue. Well, you know, my sales are only down 10%. So I don't really know if I you know, could get this credit. And really you say, well, yeah, but like look at all of the creative ways that you went to get revenue last year, whether it was a meal program or it was building a delivery or it was building a tent outside. But inherently, I mean, your business was, you know, impacted way more than 10%. You just were the entrepreneur of the lifetime who, who made it work and got this revenue. So I think you're 100% right to say, you know, you really want to look at all those different avenues and, you know, not dwell on 2020 of the what if, but it's true. Like if you had worked as hard as you did in 2020 in any other year, you probably would have had, you know, 20%, 25% top line growth. You know, it's just that you had to, to make it work, but you know, there's no reason to think that in 2021, that can't be these additional revenue streams that stay with you. So I agree with you hundred percent. And I think it is looking back, you know, a point to give, yourself credit because you know so many people were so creative just to get their business to work in 2020 and that's that's the creativity that'll be with you forever yeah and I, I, I absolutely and i hope that does stay and they don't get complacent again in the future um i do i, I we'll, we'll start to wrap up but i, I did want to ask you because you mentioned delivery earlier and you, you can talk to restaurants all the country everyone's got a different story oh the fees this or i love that or there's two sides of the coin and I don't think there's a great consistent answer with um, all the mobile apps and, and you can do it yourself. But, but what have you seen client-wise, fee-wise? Is, is it settling into X percentage of sales to do a delivery? What, what are you kind of seeing as a trend? What I think the trend is, is just being more aware of your your customer's behavior pattern with delivery service. So, you know, I think one thing that's positive is that people have really seen that customers don't mind spending more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 19, you know, in 2019, people would have very, oh, I don't want to raise prices and delivery services, or, you know, I charge $9.99 for a pizza. I have to keep the $9.99 pizza or they'll get mad. I think that proof did not be the case, that mm, people who are ordering right. the apps really aren't paying attention. And that's not to say you should gouge, but at the same time, if it costs you 20%, you know, it's very common now to just see I've added that cost on to that, you know, to that meal and, and that's what it is. And I think, you know, customers are aware of it. The thing now that you're seeing is because it's such a larger portion of the collective revenue is, is what I've added enough because it still eats away at the bottom line because you're giving up 20% of every sale that comes in. So now what we're really seeing is, okay, we're through the, the craziness. We had 
what we had, but the delivery services aren't going away. So let's really make sure that we're tracking what we spend in delivery, almost like it's just another of our controllable costs. So, you know, here's my delivery cost from last week. What is it this week? Just to make sure that the bottom line is still working with that fee and, and how large that fee has become. Yeah, I mean, and a very good point. I'll just talk as a consumer for a second and I'll echo your point as being accurate. Uh, yeah, two years ago, I would have said, oh, that, that's more than you charge when I walk into your restaurant. You can't do that. But now, absolutely, I see the little fee added up or I can I know that it's a little bit more and it becomes like, I don't care. I just want food <laughs> delivered to my house. And I, it, right. it, 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 and I think I, I'm not I'm not it, I'm not I'm not different from anyone else in that regard. Right. So we just yeah. want, we want our food and, and, and deliver it. So he so, yeah, it's a, that's an interesting mindset that I don't think you could have convinced anybody of, you know, 12 months ago. And, and so it, that has been an interesting change. Um, that, that's the majority of my notes. I do. I do want to hit um, that you guys are doing whether it's uh, classes or I think a, a group, a Largo group academy or class, what are you doing in that education front? So really, you know, education's always been part of our goal um, to not just, you know, kind of hand a client a tax return, but really make sure that they understand the accounting rules because, you know, it's the language of business, but it's hard to, to understand or take time to understand when you're trying to run a restaurant as well. Um, but during COVID, what we really tried to do was put up, you know, some online courses where people who did all of a sudden have more time or were kind of trying to reinvent the way they've done things, you know, learning accounting is very important and that's an integral piece of that. So, um, you know, we've really tried to just kind of hone in on things that the entrepreneur needs to know. So whether it's, you know, learning fundamentals of accounting, I actually used to teach accounting at the collegiate level. So I kind of reworked some of my accounting courses uh, because who has time to take an accounting course? You know, probably not if you're running a business, but at least you might have a half an hour to kind of sit down and, and think about a balance sheet and what it that is and cash flow. What is that? So, you know, I think that's really our goal is to always have that as an as part of our offering. So that if you want to learn more, you know, we've given you the resources to do that as well. Good. And that's all on it's on the website. It's other places where we're yeah. So it's on, on our that. website. We do have a few of our lectures on uh, YouTube. So our accounting fundamentals is on YouTube. Okay. Uh, we do have our courses on as part of our Largo Academy. And um, yeah. Good. Yeah, um, uh, as long as you can make it more interesting than a, than a boring college lecture, I think you'll keep them <laughs> tuned in really, really hard. And I'm sure that's what you had that mindset of, hey, I used to teach it like this, but I know you don't want to hear all that. Here's what you actually 100% need to know right now in 30 minutes. And, exactly. <laughs> you, know, fi you know, financial accounting 101 for yes. your restaurant. So, uh, all right, good. As we close, uh, hit them with the website, your social, anything else you got? What do you got? Yeah, so definitely check out our website. I would say for business owners, I mean, the key thing for tax planning right now is um, the employee retention tax credit. If you haven't looked at it yet, please do. It's it's amazing dollars that they haven't made it easy. It's the anti-PPP, which was easy to do. This one is a beast, but it's also something that's very valuable for any, especially restaurants that were impacted by COVID. Um, so I definitely look at that because it's something that's there for 2020 and 2021. It's on our website. You can click for more information. We will help you figure out if it is something that you uh, it's applicable to you. And then the other one is, you know, I think just staying aware of uh, tax planning for 2021, because obviously, hopefully it's a better year. Hopefully we've learned a lot in 2020. So my two tips would be, you know, ERTC and then just overall tax planning that let's, you know, really make sure that the owner is taken care of as well as we get out of this pandemic. 
Yeah, yeah, awesome. And, and really, really terrific stuff. I, I appreciate you being with us. Uh, folks, that was Ann Gannon of the Largo Group. You can find them on the web at thelargogroup.com. So thelargogroup.com. We'll get you there where she has all that information as well. And you can see that as well as some videos and so forth. So uh, for more great restaurant marketing, operations, service, and people tips, stay tuned to us here at runningrestaurants.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you so much.